0: Shalom, everybody, to another episode of the weekly webinar coming to you from the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem. Um it's good to see many people joining us from around the world. Uh, please let us know from which country you are joining and where you are listening to. Also, if you have any comments today or questions, that's what this session is all about. And Moimira, we have to repeat, telling the people that to come with our questions. We are going to do a, a little bit a different webinar today. And um, um Moimira, I will ask you in a minute to share a little bit your side, but During this year's Feast of Tabernacles, um, we all are aware always that uh, Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles is always a season where the Jewish people also start reading afresh uh, through the five books of Moses. Every week in every synagogue around the world, there is a what they call a parashat ha a portion of the week that they are, that they are reading uh, from the five books of Moses. And also this is paralleled by a reading which is called the haftarah, uh, the uh, a passage from the prophets that are fitting to that very passage of every weekly reading. And this is quite amazing and quite impressive because I think this is absent from uh, Christianity at all at, at, at large, might exist within different denominations. But uh, the Jewish people around the world, wherever they live, whatever, if they're Reform or Orthodox or Sephardic or Ashkenazi, you know what they are reading in the synagogue during the week. It's all over the world the same, and there's this uh, certain parachute, and I just fell to in line also what God might be speaking to Israel uh, during this year. I said, well, let's read uh, at least uh, on a weekly basis with the, with the Parashot and with the, with his passages from the Torah. And I did it myself. And I was amazed in this first few weeks, the Lord really spoke to me. I talked with my wife about certain things. I realized she was doing the same thing. And the Lord spoke to her. I shared a few thoughts about that on Monday in our staff devotion and, um, and one of our staff person said, That's amazing, Jürgen. I felt to do the very same thing. And on Wednesday, not knowing about what happened on Monday, or actually, Moimir heard about what happened on Monday. He says, Well, I want to share something because I'm doing the right, the same thing. I feel I should be reading through the Parashat Hashavuah. So. Um, what we are doing this next few weeks, we, we go through a number of those portions and we are focusing this uh, next three sessions, at least, about the life of Abraham, because the next three portions, they are dedicated to the life of Abraham. The very first one was read last week, it was called Lecha. There is one which is being read this week by Yerah and there is a third one which was the following week where they have the final portion about Abraham. And uh, and there is something about studying the uh, the the texts of, of the Bible that is quite unique. But before I hand over the mic to you, Moymel, or maybe Moymel, if you can start this session with a short prayer, and then you can be- make a few remarks about there's the way how we Christians look at the Bible, how Jewish people are looking at the Bible. Maybe you want to start with a few comments in that regard.
1: Okay, thank you again. And so again, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, which is alive and powerful and goes to the division of bone and marrow and uh, can uh, discern the thoughts of our hearts and of our minds. We thank you, Lord, that your word you have given to mankind is, has such a power that it can transform people's lives and even lives of nations. And Lord, we thank you that the word ultimately became flesh. And so we thank you for all the riches that we can learn from the Jewish uh, heritage, and uh, we want to do it in an attitude that uh, will give all the glory to your son, Jesus, who has come to manifest your very personality, to show mm-hmm. us the word which uh, is living and we just want to be your disciples, your servants, and yeah. help us. And we ask you, the Holy Spirit, to help us even today to understand and lead us into the Word, because you said that the Holy Spirit would lead us in all truth. So with this expectation, we give glory to you, and we give thanks to you for all, for the Word that we have and that we can discuss today Jesus' mm-hmm. Amen. Yes, and, you know, this seems to be a, a similar occurrence uh, to something that happened to us at the ICJ about two years ago, when, again, spontaneously, without anyone planning it, we started uh, this uh, prayer initiative, a prayer chain, uh, starting at each beginning of a Hebrew month. It is now quite well known about our friends and supporters as these Rosh hodesh. Or the beginning of the month prayers, and the common thread with today with uh, when we are speaking about parashot is that again this is a part, a portion of uh, what we might call the the Hebrew roots of our faith or the the Hebrew heritage that has been lost to the church at large for many centuries. And just before we start uh, engaging in that, I just want to uh, have a word of caution that. What we are doing, either at Parashat or at Sukkot or at uh, reading the Parashat, we are not uh, going back under the yoke of the law. We are not Judaizing. We are not trying to convince Christians to become Jews. We fully understand and we fully uphold that Jesus is the Messiah, the only way to God, the one who has be- the Word who has become flesh and who has shown us the the way and the life to, to God. So uh, this is not to detract anything from Jesus, but as we uh, live here in Israel, and we as we uh, deal with these issues, with these uh, different Jewish traditions, we have understood that it can increase, it can enhance our faith if we understand a little bit more from the riches of the Jewish tradition. So, and that's true for the parachute. This is, as Jürgen mentioned, a, a weekly cycle. Uh, and throughout the whole year, the Jewish people read the whole five books of Moses. And in addition, every week they hear they read a portion from the prophets or the, the other uh, historical books of, of the Old Testament. And uh, when we do it, we can learn, we can uh, read the same portion, knowing that all the Jewish people all around the world are dealing this week with the same subject. And as Christians, of course, we are uh, uh, going to find New Testament verses which are similar or which shed more light on the subject that we are discussing today. And this is the approach we, uh, we want to take. And uh, again, this is something new, but uh, many of us have just spontaneously started. And uh, we believe that uh, this is a leading of the Holy Spirit behind it. So we'll see where it will take us. Uh, one last uh, word of caution again, uh, we as Christians, we are used to uh, hearing a sermon with a clear, Uh, point with a clear admonition, with a clear, you know, final uh, point that tells us how we should understand this. And there is no room for uh, for different opinions, usually. And uh, the uh, Jewish way of uh, studying the scripture is quite different. They uh, prefer asking questions. And not every question is answered. And uh, the answers to some questions can be different with different people. So this is also part of what we understand and we want to to try to do even here. And uh, when we study the Bible in small groups, that we can be uh, more open to really uh, give the opportunity to each and everyone to study the Bible for himself or herself and then come up with their own answers. it, it it's a different world. I remember the uh, Rabbi Shmuel Bauman recently uh, came and taught at, at the ICJ, and he said, "Well, how the Jews do it? They ask questions, and they, they give the questions to the groups of people, two or three, and they were all we were all asked to to think about it, and then from each group, uh, different answers came, and uh, so what what is the result? What is the right answer?" But there is no right answer. And that's the point. And if I may uh, to end this um, portion with a Jewish joke, then uh, I think that illustrates it very well. You know, here is the, a rabbi has a disciple and the disciple is is watching him. And when the rabbi uh, invites people and speaks with them, then he is watching what he says. So one day, two people came to the rabbi who had an argument. They were, you know, in a dispute. So the rabbi first heard the first one. And uh, after hearing what he wants, has to say, he said, well, you're right. Then he heard the other one. And uh, to the astonishment of the disciple, the rabbi ended by saying, well, you're right. And so when the two men left, the disciple came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I don't understand this. You said to the first man that he was right. Then you said to the second man who just gave you the opposite uh, part of the story that you said to him that he's also right. Well, that is not possible. And the rabbi smiled and uh, looked at his disciple and told him, yes, my son, you are right. So uh, this is a new way of, uh, of looking at the scripture. And a way which uh, has some wisdom, because the Jewish people are able to keep the balance, even uh, in uh, so seemingly contradictory uh, ideas or portions of the Bible. And they, they consider all of the Bible as the word of God. And if we don't understand certain things, how they work together, we just leave it at that. And maybe the Lord will give us light at the right time. Again. Uh,
0: You are muted, Jürgen. I'm sorry, I was muted. I think, Moimel, you're absolutely right. And I I believe you agree by uh, saying that living in Israel, one of the things that we really learn to see is that uh, one of the great characteristics of the jewish people of israel is the 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 art of dispute and disagreement and it is something that is very foreign sometimes from christian churches that can be sometimes very dogmatic about one even a, a minor issue of dogma and they can even enter into division of churches And that's something that uh, um, even the nature of the Talmud, where they learn how to discuss the Word of God and and um, and I think both sides, there is a strength to that and importantly, of course, you need a unity in teaching. But at the same time, uh, I believe we can learn from that freedom in the synagogues and from some of the Jewish people uh, to discuss the text. Uh, maybe just one little um introduction to this week's parasha or this week's uh, reading, as I said, Lech Lecha. Uh, The name, by the way, from those Torah portions is usually taken in Hebrew from the very first few words, uh, sometimes just the one word, how this passage starts. And Lech Lecha means go out or take yourself out, uh, go yourself out of the country. That's how Genesis 12 starts with Abraham. And they are important for us to study and important for us to learn, not only those passages that we are going to look at in these coming weeks, But um, um, my computer Bible that I have here, and I hope I'm able to show a little bit, a a screen shot for my uh, computer. Moima, if you can give me a thumbs up, if you can see it. Um, What you see there is um, a a graphical display of the Bible. And what uh, what this shows you is that the all the passages where the old testament is being quoted in the new testament that means all those pages you see here starts with genesis all the way down to uh the the, even the apocryphical books and you see the interconnection between the old and the new testament and we here we are here at the the book of genesis and you see in the genesis there is hardly any book in the new testament that doesn't make any reference to the book of Genesis. And in particular, of course, the book of Hebrews, Romans, Acts, what you can see, the Gospel of Luke, they refer, but almost every book, very few books don't mention anything. I think the book of Philemon I see here is the only one that doesn't make an allusion or or direct relation to the book of Genesis. Any other book of the New Testament actually uses either imagery or stories or direct quotes from the uh, from the Bible and and therefore there is today a movement um around the church which say oh we have, we have to be new testament believers we don't read so much the old testament it's very dangerous because it's very Difficult to really understand the Bible without having a proper understanding of the Old Testament. So, Moimir, this uh, passage that we are reading this week, Lech Lecha, uh, get yourself out to Abraham. I think it's one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. It comes with quite a unique call. Get yourself out. Um, what, What do the Jewish people say what it means? And also, what does it have to say to us today?
1: Yeah. Well, this is indeed a foundational verse for all the Jewish people, because this is how the nation of Israel, the the nation of the Jewish people started by a call from God. So it's important to understand what that call means. And we can also take a look at how that applies to us. Well, the the Jewish people usually start by asking a few questions. So, for instance, uh, what is when God spoke to Abraham? Was the emphasis more on the goal where he is going to, or to what he needs to leave behind? That's the first question. And when we look at the verse, uh, when God says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, you can see that Abraham didn't know where he's going. He only knew that God would show him at the right time. So there was a goal, but it was not very clear. But God was very clear about what Abraham needs to leave behind. And that is, if you look at the, the three levels, the country, the family, and the father's house, you can see that it includes all the levels which uh, have an impact on us as human beings. Uh, if we start at a family, when we are born, we are living together with the parents, and this is where some of the most uh, uh, intimate uh, uh, experiences are uh, formed, and it can be if there's something goes wrong, it can impact us throughout all our lives. And then, as we uh, mature a little bit, uh, it already starts at kindergarten level or school level. We uh, live with other people, and we know uh, what it means to have uh, peer pressure, the, uh, the need to fit into. Uh, to uh, somehow flow with the current or stand against the current. So this is what then defines uh, the idea uh, if we are successful or not. It impacts our decision. It uh, it shows uh, where we should be going because we are living in a certain environment. And then we also uh, live in a in a larger entity, in a country, in a nation with a certain political and economic system. And it is very evident As I travel across the world and we have branches in in dozens of nations, it is completely different if you are growing up in Africa or in Latin America or in Eastern Europe or in the West. And uh, so that again shapes you. Now, what does it mean that God says to Abraham, leave all that behind? It means that uh, God wants to start afresh with Abraham. And he wants to speak directly to the most innermost being. And uh, this is where the Spirit of God can enter into our being. He can heal us from even things we are not aware of. And he can shape our life. And uh, so uh, I believe that this is something which could be said as as a model for the experience of all of us. Because If we have made the decision to follow Christ, we also have heard a similar call. God called us out of the the natural environment. Uh, Actually, the the Bible says that we, if we are not Jewish, we were taken from a wild olive tree, a tree with a very different history and philosophy and system of values. And we were against nature, grafted into the good olive tree of Israel with all the the values, the word of God, the history, the prophets and everything. So, uh, again, if we want to follow Christ uh, fully with all our hearts, then we need to make that decision uh, thoroughly. And we need to be aware that we are actually leaving the, the zone where we grew up and then Uh, we are grafted into something new. Well, I may be speaking from my own experience because I understand it is different when someone is uh, growing up in a Christian family with Christian parents and uh, with a generation, certain generations of uh, believers, you still need to make the decision. But uh, for me personally, I was not growing up in a Christian home. I was growing in a very hostile country with the communist regime, which was fighting Christianity. So Uh, When I heard the call of God, I understood that I need to just give up everything. And what was the most difficult thing was to surrender the control over my life. And that brings me back to Abraham. How does it feel like you are going somewhere, but you do not know where? It's 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 crazy in a way because normally we want to make plans. We want to know when uh, we are doing what, uh, when we are leaving, when we are arriving. What is the goal? And I certainly am like that. I I like to have uh, my life organized and I know what I'm doing. But then, when God calls you, you have to surrender this control over your life. And uh, this is exactly what Abraham went through and we do have this is the first New Testament scripture we do have a, a, a hint in the book of Hebrews uh, referencing this very uh, episode from Genesis 12. it's uh, in chapter 11 where he we hear from verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which we, we which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out, not knowing where he was going. That is called faith. And Abraham is the father of faith, and we are called the children of Abraham. So I believe that this, what Abraham experienced, uh, is quite relevant, actually, to all of us. Jürgen?
0: Yeah, and you know, as you were speaking, I was reminded also on the book of Ephesians, which in a way gives you uh, this same call of uh, getting out, where it says in Ephesians chapter to you were dead in trespasses and sin. You walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And then later on, he says, he says, but now he says, do not walk anymore according to the ways of the Gentiles. That means also the New Testament, uh, the teachings of Jesus. It's a call to all the nations to get out from um, their sinful cultures, the, the kingdom of darkness, so to speak, and become part of this olive tree that you have been speaking about. Now, there is one quite important passage still before we move on to the other passage in this first verses where it says, Get yourself out, Lech Lecha, Abraham, uh, out of your kindred of your father's house. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I make your name great. You shall be a blessing. It's an amazing calling where well, we can spend t- talking a-, a lot about. I will bless those who bless you, and in h- and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth, of the uh, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In a way, this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament. And, um, before I hand it over to, uh, to, to Moimir again, I, I just want to make a few points. What actually is meant by this expression, all the families of the earth? And this is, uh, this is an impression. The Hebrew word for family, families is Mishpachot. And it's not a new term that suddenly appears here for the first time in Genesis chapter 12. But if you go back into chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, you will see all the the family of the nations, the descendants of Noah. And if you read Genesis chapter 10, you see these are the generations of Noah, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it goes into the sons of Sim, the sons of Shem, Ham, and Yafet, with their different genealogies, and each one of those ends like that. So these are the sons of 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 uh, these are the sons of Yafet, each according to his own language, by their clans and and by their nations in the world by their clans. It's actually the word Mishpachot. And then it goes to the family of Ham. And then it concludes here. It says, these are the sons of Ham by their Mishpachot, by their families and their languages and by their lands and nations. And then it goes to the families of Shem. And also there in verse 32, it ends, He says, these are the sons of Shem by their Mishpachot, by their family, their languages, their lands and their nations. And these are the Mishpachot the clans of the sons of Noah. So just before all the families of the earth are introduced, according to uh, uh, Jewish tradition, those 70 nations that you can find here in Genesis chapter 10, you can trace all the nations of the world down to this family tree. And it's quite interesting, even National Geography, geography, uh, recently, a few years ago, actually, they brought a, a, a special edition out, where they said all the families of mankind, they can be traced back to three major families, the Asiatic tribes, the African tribes, and the white Caucasian or the European tribes. And it's exactly that picture that is given us also here in the book of Genesis. And then God comes to Abraham and God's as as if God is saying something, we need to do something about those families of the earth about those mishpachot about those different clans and god says we are going to choose abraham and he's going to be uh, the answer for the problem and and this verse actually we can find it also in the new testament right Uh, yes well uh, i think that you you hint at
1: galatians 3 where we hear that uh, when God spoke to Abraham, this was in fact the first proclamation of the gospel. So what Abraham heard, we already talked about the call that uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, that actually it was the gospel that Abraham yeah. heard. And uh, why the gospel? And again, uh, thank you for mentioning the generations of uh, Noah, the generations after the flood, because if we want to understand why Abraham was chosen at that very point in time, we need to look at the context. And uh, if we read uh, actually the story of Abraham with his family, with his father Terah, it already starts at the end of chapter 11. And chapter 11 is uh, the the main topic of that chapter is uh, the Tower of Babel. And uh, we know that it didn't uh, end up well it ended with a catastrophe and with uh, the dispersion of the people. Uh, but we need to understand what went wrong, actually. And if we understand that, we can see why God chose a different method, so to speak. Because after the fall of Adam, God was has been trying to save mankind. And it went wrong repeatedly. It was so bad that uh, the Lord was actually, God was looking for one righteous man. He found Noah and he saved him and his family and he had to destroy the pre-flood world completely. Now, after the flood, there was a new chance for people, but it didn't uh, develop very well. Again, this seed of uh, of sin uh, manifested again. And uh, what was wrong with the Tower of Babel, actually? if we look at it from with, without knowing what how the bible looks at it we could see that this was quite a remarkable initiative people were united that it's always a blessing in unity right and they decided to to build something great uh, and they were even uh, able to find the uh, new building purpose uh, processes and new innovative materials, and all that was really remarkable. So what was wrong with that? And the Bible says that, uh, or hints at uh, the problem when it says in Genesis eleven four that the people said, uh, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. So This was the focus. They didn't want to uh, elevate the name of the Lord. They didn't want to worship him and recognize him as the creator and Lord of the universe. Rather, they wanted to elevate themselves. Uh, People, mankind as the measure of all things. And uh, God, when he looked at that and he saw that they were actually quite successful. And he said to himself, well, if this is just the beginning, how that will end? It means that the Lord discerned that it would end up in another very uh, difficult rebellion against God. And he would have to do something again, uh, cataclysmic perhaps. And he already made a covenant that he would never uh, destroy the earth with water again. That's why we have the rainbow. And so what is the remedy? and we can see that in contrast to noah uh, god started something different with abraham he chose one person and he he didn't call noah in the same way noah was also living in faith and he was obedient and he was great in his generation but with abraham god did something different and he started something That was then continued in his son Isaac, and in his son Jacob, and then on with every generation. And the remarkable thing is that God decided to create a nation that would go throughout the history as as a signpost, as a reminder of God himself. Even though, and that's the, the, the biggest miracle in my opinion, The Jewish people are not always happy about that role. They uh, uh, are sometimes running away from God. But God is so powerful that he has succeeded in creating a nation which goes through the centuries, lives a separate nation, and points to God always. When they are punished and when they are the subject of God's grace, they always show Uh, the character of God. And through them, we know that we have received the scriptures and we have received the Messiah. So that is how God started with Abraham. And we have to say that he has been successful.
0: Amen. Absolutely. It says, uh, you know, if you look at Abraham, he was probably the uh, most influential person, a human being in history. impacted uh 2. I think 6 billion Christians around the world. Um even the Muslims, 1.3 billion Muslims, they claim that he is their ancestor. And of course there are some 14, 15 million Jews. So this one man really impacted you can say more than half of the world uh in their in their understanding. So this man uh, was a great leader. If we have to move on because we just are, we started with the first few, few verses. Abraham is moving on now. The next passages we read, he moves to Shechem. He's going to Elon Moreh. It's a Jewish settlement even until today in the area of Shechem or Nablus, how the city is called today in Arabic. That's where for the first time the Lord gave him actually the promise where the target will be, where the aim will be. He says, "This is the land that I'm." Going To give you, he built an altar to the Lord. He moved on to Bethel a little bit more south, pitched again his tent there, built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord. And then there comes quite an interesting uh, passage where he actually just ended into, you can say in his destiny and uh, a difficulty arises and he needs to move on to Egypt because there is not enough water and food in the land to maintain him. And he moves on to Egypt, leaves again, the land of promise. Uh, we read that he is struck by fear to be killed. He actually um Uh, um, in a way says well my wife is not my wife but she's just my sister we read read later on it wasn't really a full lie there was some truth to it but he wasn't really he didn't have the courage and the faith that god would protect him so it's quite interesting this Abraham, i think he wasn't and that's a great relief for us i believe he wasn't that perfect man who was really doing everything completely right. But I believe there was something about Abraham that set him apart This his radical desire to follow God wherever he leads him, even into a land which he does not know, and to put all his trust in his God. But even though he had this quality, he was still a man that showed the same weaknesses like others. We read later on in chapter 13 how he has to separate from his nephew who he talked to, t- took with him. And there was strife between the different camps of the sheeps. I don't think we will go into that. God of Fromstan, again, the promise, he says, look around you. Don't be dispelled about this family split. Uh, it was, in a way, the purpose of God for him. Look re- li- left, right, north, south. This is the land that I'm going to give you. And then uh, before we go to speak about the, the, the covenant, and I know, Moima, you have a few words to share about that. Um, there is quite an interesting passage that uh, sometimes is a little bit ignored when you read the story of Abraham, and this is Ab- this is Genesis chapter uh, fourteen. And uh, most Bible commentaries they say this is actually the the oldest record of a military conflict in history. You know this story of Abraham is around 2000 bc 2000 before our common era and uh, and there is quite a detailed report about four kings that are coming from the area of babylon and and, and persia it says here in the names in the days of amraphel the king of shinar We know from Genesis chapter 10 and 11, Shinar is the area where they build the Tower of Babel. Arioch, the king of Eliezer, and Chador Leomer, the king of Elam. Elam, that's what is the area of Iran today, or used to be Persia. And Tidal, the king of the Goyim, the king of the nations. So there's a a United Nations, you could say, which was uh, exercising control over this region here. And it says here in verse four, 12 years they had, uh, that means the king of Sodom, the king of, um, of, uh, of the valley of Sidim, um, all those different kings that lived there. There are five kings mentioned. They served Kedor Omer for 14, 13 years. And in the fourteenth year, they rebelled against him. That means they were vassal state, they were tributary states to this uh, um, alliance of kings from from Babylon and from Persia, and then they separated from him and they invaded the area. They had a major military campaign. And then it says here: uh, in this military campaign against the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other neighboring king kingdoms, they also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. And that's quite an interesting little. A story that we find here uh, we just read the pre- preceding chapter there was a strife between the shepherds of lot and the shepherds of Abraham, and they separated and Lot was choosing the more uh, fruitful and the more green area of sedom and maybe this left even some bitter taste we don't know the bible doesn't tell us anything about it But humanly speaking, most likely that might have might have left a little bit of bitter taste for Abraham. I said this young guy, I took him with me and now he's actually choosing the filet piece, the most precious piece with all the green lush areas. He's choosing it for himself. And he leaves me on those dry mountain ridges up on the mountains of Israel. And uh, he was going down to Lot, uh, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it says, and when Abraham heard that his kinsmen, and the word here for kinsmen in Hebrew is the word Ach, when he heard that his brother was kept captured, uh, he led forth his train, trained army. Born in his house, 380 men, he pursued them as far as then. He divided his forces by night, and he basically delivered all those captives, and he brought all the treasures that they stole, he brought them back to the area. And um, this is quite amazing. That here is Abraham who uh, heard about the fate of somebody. You might probably call him. He was not his favorite brother. He just uh, um, had to split and separate for him. And he heard that he is in trouble. Unlike Cain in the book of uh, Book of Genesis chapter four, where the Lord comes to him, he said, "Cain, where is where is your brother Abel?" And he says, well, am I my brother's keeper? What is my responsibility for my neighbor? Abram actually took the responsibility. He says, I might not be at good terms with him, but I owe it to him. He's my brother. I need to stand with him and I need to deliver for him. And what a message that is for us. where well, uh, you know, the Lord wasn't even an enemy, but probably somebody where Abraham had a strained relationship with him, but he decided to risk everything in order to get him free. And I think that's a, a very much also a New Testament teaching where the Lord not only teaches us to love our, our enemies, but to be there for our brothers, for those people who are around us. And it was this critical situation we sometimes underestimated, Well, we read then in verse 17, in chapter 14, and after he, re- he returned from the defeat of Hedor Amor, that he meets in verse 18, this mysterious king, Melchizedek, and he introduces himself. He says, I am the priest of the Most High God of El And That's the first time this... Uh, introduction of God comes where he calls himself the most high God, the possessor of the heavens and earth. And he blessed him there. He entered, he came out with bread and wine. The book of Hebrews, again, you know, it's actually, there are a lot of quotes in the book of Hebrews says this was, you can almost say like a pre-appearance of Jesus, the Messiah. So being willing actually to put his life down the line and to, to fight for his brother led to a greater revelation of knowledge knowledge of God. He suddenly met this man, Melchizedek, that appeared to him because he was just returning from the battle of delivering uh, his brother. And then the very next thing also is a consequence of that. In chapter 15, it says, and after these things, after he actually came back from the battle, after he met Melchizedek, the Lord appeared to him again. And this time the Lord says, I'm not only uh, giving you a greater revelation of myself, but I'm actually even increasing for you the security and the affirmation of my promise and the calling that I placed upon your life. And that's the story where God made a covenant with Abraham. And I think that's a very important passage, Moimir, to understand the very calling of Israel today. Right.
1: Yes, Jürgen. Indeed, just before that, as a context for Uh, the moment in which this tremendous uh, blessing came to Abraham, this was, like you said, after he defeated the kings and after he had met uh, Melchizedek, and he also met someone else at the same... It it looks like it happened at the same time. We have uh, the text in Genesis 14 from verse 17 uh, that uh, Abraham met Melchizedek, and uh, he blessed him, and uh, uh, Abraham gave him a tithe And also the king of Sodom was there probably at the same time, even maybe the same place, because it's in the same paragraph. And he said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Now, Abraham said to him, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strip. And I will take not anything that is yours. So in a way, Abraham was here faced with a choice. He met Melchizedek and he met, uh, met the king of Sodom. And both were offering something. And Abram had the power to discern what is right. He rejected the king of Sodom. By that, he rejected the enticement of, of money and of luxury and of possession because the king of Sodom offered him goods, uh, property. And uh, why did uh, Abram not take it? it? He must have understood the moral implications. And it goes all the way down to Lot, because when they separated, as you say, uh, actually Abram said to Lot, choose whatever you want, I will choose the other. But he said, if you go left, I will go right. If you go right, I will go left. And I read that the people at that time when they were... Uh, giving the uh, the direction, uh, they would stand facing the east. So uh, you must imagine they were on a mountain ridge somewhere between Beth El, Jerusalem, Hebron, in the central mountains. And uh, Abram was assuming that uh, Lord would stay in that part of the land. And he would just go left or right, south or north. And Abram would take the, the next part. But Lot looked up and he saw the God, the, the uh, valley of Sodom and Gomorrah, which looked like a garden of uh, Eden, like a garden of Egypt. And again, this is a contrast between Lot and Abram because Abram was living by faith, but Lot was living by what he saw. And he saw the luxury of Sodom and decided to go there. And this was the first indication that it was probably not the best choice. And in the next parasha, we will hear more about what happened in Sodom. But that uh, Abraham must have known about Sodom and the, the moral decline in it. And so he decided clearly to prefer Melchizedek over Sodom. And I believe that was what led him then, uh, what led to the next uh, portion in chapter 15, when God uh, said that he would give him a great reward. So that's kind of an interesting context, and you can start by explaining what the the importance of that covenant was in chapter 15. Uh,
0: What what is quite important about that covenant, there's much to say. I think we should also say a few words about chapter 16 and 17 later on, so I will keep it quite short, but in a way, um, it says after these things, and remember, this was just a battle of the kings and the Lord appeared to him with Melchizedek. And then, like you rightly say, there was uh, this incident with the king of, Lod, of, of, Gomor- of Sodom and, the, and Abraham refused everything for him. He said, I don't take a penny, rather decided to give a tithe of everything he had to Melchizedek. And uh, reading that passage, even the other day, I believe there were two thoughts in the minds of Abram. Number one, uh, he understood he was messing up with one of the biggest powers in the region, um, because... Just previously, the kings of the region, they, they went against him and against, uh, they, they had a rebellion against khedol and this alliance of powerful kings from Babylon. They came all the way down, you know, this was 2000 before Christ, reestablished their authority. And now this little roaming farmer, so to speak, with a little group, dare to attack this world power. And I, he might have come back and said, well, what in the world was I, was, what was I thinking just attacking this power like they came back last year? They might come back again now, and they might give me a hard time. And then the Lord says, don't be afraid, chapter 15, verse 1, I am your shield. Don't fear them. I am, you did the right thing. Blessed is the Lord who gave this victory. Who put, deliver the enemies in your hand. He will keep you uh, also for the future. And secondly, the Lord says, I'm going to bless you greatly. You might have turned down that blessing of the king of Sedom. But don't be disappointed that you might have missed something great. I'm going to bless you. And I want to affirm my relationship with you through a covenant. And what we read in chapter 15, I believe, I believe we talked about that already in the past webinar, the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was a one-sided covenant where Abraham had to put down animal, sacrificial animals on the floor. And the Bible says Abraham was in a deep sleep. And I think Moimel, you made a right connection to that. There was already a deep sleep in a few chapters earlier with Abraham and something beautiful came out, which became his wife, uh, Hava or Eva. And there was another deep sleet in what came out that God covenanted with Abraham. And it's very important uh, because many people to, today which uh, stick to a theology called replacement theology, they say, well, maybe God changed his mind with Abraham. And maybe uh, we now as church, we are the new Israel this cannot be because chapter 15 we read God made a one sided covenant with Abraham. Abraham was sleeping on the side, and God Himself alone was going through those animals. In chapter 15, uh, verse 17, like a smoking fire put and a flaming torch, the Lord passed between those pieces. And it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It was a one sided covenant. Covenant, and where the lord said doesn't matter what you are going to do i promise you this land is your possession for all eternity. And that's why the Jewish people came back today to this land, because God made a covenant 4,000 years ago, and he is a covenant-keeping God. And for everybody who is listening, this is a super important message for all of us. That means our God also keeps every covenant that he made with your life, with my life. We know him as a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his covenants with Israel, and he also will keep the covenant covenant with you. And maybe one um, one or two more notes here at the very end, because we are already uh, at the end of our time. The next chapter, chapter 16, we read about Sarai and Hagar, uh, the Egyptian slave that he brought with him from Egypt, a comment that I saw here in the chat section. Well, maybe he shouldn't have brought Lot all around. Uh, you are probably very right in that. I think the same thing that is the Lord said, leave your family. And he didn't. He actually took a part of the family with him. And also it might have not been uh, God's. And, uh, first place for him to go to Egypt and to uh, say the untruth. But he, re- he left Egypt with a big possession, including slaves. And one of those persons was Hagar, and out of that came Ishmael. Uh, it was also a son of Abraham, but he was not the son of promise. But what this passage is giving us, we, we saw in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord introduces himself as I am El Elyon, and uh, he says, "I'm the the uh, the most high God." Here, Hagar gets to know the Lord in a, in another way. Another name of God is revealed uh, in that same passage. where she says, "Now I know that you are El Roi, the Lord who sees." There is actually a um, there is actually a church a kehila here in Israel. Um, um, to, uh, that is called the El Roy congregation. And that was the name that was introduced also in this passage of this week. And then the passage starts in chapter 17. And with this, uh, I think we, uh, we should close for today when the Lord appeared to him again. And this is quite amazing. You know, he appeared to him after 13 years. We we read here when the when Abram was ninety nine, the Lord appeared to him. The verse before it says, "And Abram was eighty six years when Hagar bore Ishmael to him." So there were thirteen years of silence. We don't know what happened with Abram. We don't know if maybe the Abram asked, "Lord, are you still there? I didn't hear from you for a long time." But he was a man of faith, and the Lord appeared to him again. He says, I am God Almighty, a third name. We saw El-Roi, uh, the Lord Who Sees. We saw uh, uh, the Lord, the Most High God, El-Elyon. And he, here for the first time, the Lord says, I am God Almighty. I am El-Shaddai, the Lord who is sufficient. And that's the third name that is being introduced in this parashat, Hashavua. And, and Moimir here, it's quite interesting, you know, um, Abram almost becomes cynical. He says, well, I'm not sure if I really get a son again. It says he laughed in his heart and, uh, and wondered. He says, well, I'm already 99 years. And then he told to the Lord, well, let Ishmael live. But it's quite interesting. God made a point here uh, with whom he will make the covenant.
1: Yeah, exactly. He said that uh, he will bless Ishmael. Yes, he heard also that prayer. And uh, it's, it's a completely separate story how Ishmael is being blessed even today, but the Lord said that he will make his covenant with the the one who will get out of his own body and Sarah's. And uh, we know that in, in English, uh, the name of Abraham's son is uh, Isaac. But in, in Hebrew, it's actually a play of words because Yitzhak means, which is Isaac, Yitzhak means the one who laughs. And it hints at the laughing of Abraham. and also Sarah was laughing. So but in, in that very uh, verse, I just read it the other day, Abraham itzshak. Abraham laughed and God gave him son who is named Itzhak. So he kind of uh, brought the name which uh, maybe was a sign of um, lack of faith at the moment or uh, uh, really really not knowing what God is about to do, but then all his life, Abraham had a son in front of him who would remind him that God is able. And he, even though Abraham laughed, he brought forth from his loins a son who was named after that episode and who indeed became the, the heir of the promise.
0: Absolutely. And and uh, like you said, the Lord says here in verse uh, 29, he says, yes, ishmael will be I, ha, I have heard you in regard to him uh, i will bless him i will make him fruitful and multiply him he shall be the father of 12 princes uh, it's quite interesting i had for a long time at home a a, a uh, encyclopedia britannica from 1982 i uh, didn't find it again in the newer versions but in the 82 versions When you study the the subject of Islam, they said, according to old Arabic tradition, there are 12 tribes that make out the Islamic world or the Arabic nation in the region. And that's exactly what God told him. There will be 12 princes coming out of you. I will bless him. And, um, And then, but he says then, but I will establish my covenant. I will establish my covenant, not with Ishmael but with uh, the son that comes forth from Sarah. So Isaac is the son of the covenant, the descendants of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the covenant bearer. They are the foundational fathers of the the people of Israel. And and in a way, as you have seen uh, in this portion today, um, the life of Abraham was a a very turbulent time. He had struggled with his family member. He had to leave everything behind. He was going to an area he didn't know where to go. He was fighting battles. Um, He sometimes also, I don't know, uh, they, they had apparently a very successful marriage. They stood together, talked to each other quite often, But uh, I'm not sure how my wife would be if I would actually be ashamed to call her my wife. So there might have been some tensions even there. In the midst of all those tensions and turbulences we read, the Lord used him and he became the father of faith. And that makes me quite encouraged about our own lives that, you know, sometimes we struggle with all kinds of things. But... The Lord actually asks us to be faithful, to have faith in him and walk with him. And he knows exactly our weaknesses, like he knew the weaknesses of Abraham. He nevertheless used him, and he became one of the greatest leaders. I, I read that today, Moimil, is that uh, I think it was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he says, says, Abraham never had a kingdom, he never had a people, he never possessed a land, he only had a promise, but he became the most influential person in mankind. And that means there is something about influence and impacting the world that is not related to this physical world and to physical power and wealth. And I think that's all comes back to what you started at the beginning. Get out of all that, that characterizes this world. And I have other means to make a great nation out of you. Any closing words from you, Moemir? Yeah, exactly.
1: I feel that this is very much relevant for all of us who have Heard the call of God for our lives because there is no limit on what he can do. And if we really follow him, like Jesus said, whoever wants to save his soul, his life, he would lose it in the end. But he Mm. who loses his life for me, he will find it. And there's no limit on what God can do with your life if you truly decide to follow him with all your heart. And may Abraham be... The, the model and the father of faith for all of us.
0: Amen. I uh, see heels uh, Moimil, uh, the comments from Zimbabwe great thoughts. thank you from Zimbabwe. well we are happy that you enjoyed it. we see we are we have 145 people with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought about today doing something new to do in a way like a, uh, like you have it. If you go to a yeshiva in Israel, uh, you will see a discussion going back and forth always with couples of students. and when Moimir and I we talked this week we said, well, Uh, Let's try the same thing. Let's make, uh, at least for a few series, a fresh type of uh, webinar. And let's just discuss together the word of God. We will continue next week with the second part. Don't miss that. It's Vejera. You can already actually, uh, Mojmer, do you know by heart the passages for next week? Because then people can already start reading them and be prepared when they join us. I think we start with chapter 18, right?
1: Yeah, we started chapter 18. And let me just see. It goes all the way to chapter 22 to the end. So 18 to 22, these five chapters.
0: So if you want to come back next week, the passage is called uh, The Lord Appeared." Yera. the Yerah. That's the title of the portion uh, according to the word appeared. And if you want to do your homework for next week, you can already start reading those passages. And Moimur and, and I, we will be back again next week. Also, if you have any questions next week, please use a little bit more uh, the chat section. You can you are more than welcome to put your comments in there also, but shalom to everybody and Moimil, yes.
1: Yeah, I just want to say that as you saw, uh, there's so much in the parashah that we were not able to touch on all those very interesting points, Uh, much more, but when you start to study, you will discover for yourself and you will have many more uh, uh, points to to discuss, to study. And you can also ask questions. We should, I think we should uh, next time devote some time to your questions. I saw some which would be interesting to, to, res, uh, to respond to, but uh, we have run out of time. But again, let's uh, meet uh, soon again. And uh, uh, I would like simply to encourage you to go into the Word and to discover for yourself.
0: Yeah, and maybe just one more inspiration to join us next week again. Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-nine says, "If you are Christ's, then you are also Abraham's offspring." And that means uh, Abraham is—he's the father of us all. And that means we need to understand our fathers. That's what this all is about, and that's what Moimur and I myself are trying to bring to you, understanding the fathers of our faith. And God bless you with this, and we look forward to seeing you next week.